Well, of course I'll volunteer to be socially decapitated because we're doing a really poor job of addressing racism such as it is, and I think we could do a lot better if we rethought our, our approach. I'm certain that we need to stop talking about cultural differences as if they are linked to our genes, and we also need to stop assuming that our genes dictate which cultural values we choose and, and who we should associate with. It is 2021, and the constant discussion of black quarterbacks in the NFL and, and how they affect the game is way less interesting to me than the apparent need for that to be discussed all the time. I think that raises more questions than the intrigue of progress. If none of us were tuned into the news, we would have a very different perspective on what the state of racism is and what the state of racial tension is. There's a lot that we don't understand about police and police forces. The same way that we don't understand the NFL and the secrets and rituals that go on within the inner workings of the NFL, we don't understand a lot about the police and we don't understand why some of these events that we see occur on TV are occurring or are being presented on TV. And so I think that if, if it were up to the common man on the street to sort things out for, for himself and between he and his neighbors, I think we would have a different take on, on what racism is today. Nevertheless, I think that we, in the meantime, have to change how we engage with what's on the news, what's in sports, what's being presented to us. Yes. You read that correctly. The subject of this recording is going to be racism. And I, after recording for some six minutes, I realized that there was a more necessary place to begin than explicitly with the issue of race. And we need to probably confront the place that we are in when dealing with a whole subset of issues that includes race and racism. What I'm talking about is that we have a general inability to um, discuss these things, or at least on the broad cultural level, it is very difficult to find breathing room to discuss these things because a certain bunch of people, um, or uncertain bunch of people, reject the idea that we can speak about any um, group. You know, we can recognize them as a group of some kind, whether that be um, characterological, whether that be genetic, whether that be um, ethnic, you know, descending from a geographic area. People, people tend to want to recognize that those groups exist, but there is a, a tendency for vociferous opposition to discussing those groups as if they have identifying characteristics. And this gets especially difficult for someone like, you know, to discuss when the issue is gender. Now, uh, you know, when 
when someone can go on TV or I, I forget where it was and now a few years ago and just say, well, there are no biological differences between men and women. And that, that um, floated for a number of people. Obviously, a number of people, myself included, found a way you know, instantly to laugh at that. But for a number of other people, that did not... Uh, distur- you know, they were not disturbed by that suggestion at all. And, and so, and, and probably some people would take offense to the suggestion that there's a difference between um, biological men and biological women. <laughs> so um, I, I will be surprised if the latter is coming into listening to this podcast, but I you know, if you find yourself anywhere on the spectrum that is, you know, to the to the other than the extreme of being able to listen to and discuss somewhat controversial things or things that irritate you in particular, I want to ask you to either um, not listen or to take a moment to pause and reflect then and consider my impetus here for recording this episode about race, mostly racism, and how we might actually diverge from a, from a path of racial thought and, and racism. My, my impetus is to, is for the good and it's, it's across all peoples, and and what I have to say here about racism can, I think, probably be applied in principle to issues of sexism and nationalism and so on and so forth, potentially all the isms. So that's where I'm beginning from. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask for your patience, and I'm gonna ask for your your. Uh, the benefit of your doubt. Instead of beginning where we are and with an explanation of that, I want to begin with uh, a place that I think would be more useful. So I'm going to read a quote. Racism is the lowest, most crudely primitive form of collectivism. It is the notion of ascribing moral, social, or political significance to a man's genetic lineage. The notion that a man's intellectual and characterological traits are produced and transmitted by his internal body chemistry, which means, in practice, that a man is to be judged not by his own character and actions, but by the characters and actions of collective ancestors. Racism claims that the content of a man's mind, not his cognitive apparatus, but its content, is inherited that a man's convictions, values, and characters, <clears throat> pardon me, character, are determined before he is born by physical factors beyond his control. This is the caveman's version of the doctrine of innate ideas, of inherited knowledge, which has been thoroughly refuted by philosophy and science. Racism is a doctrine of, by, and for brutes. It is a barnyard or stock farm version of collectivism, appropriate to a mentality that differentiates between various breeds of animals, 
but not between animals and men. Like every form of determinism, racism invalidates the specific attribute which distinguishes man from all other living species his rational faculty. Racism negates two aspects of man's life, reason and choice, or mind and morality, replacing them with chemical predestination. That is Ayn Rand writing in The Virtue of Selfishness, page 126. Please note that her definition consistently speaks to the judgment of individuals according to their genetic background. So far, she you know, has not addressed in the above um, judging a specific racial group as better or worse, uh, which is the common uh, definition of racism today. Uh, so I'm going to read another quote of hers from a different book. Here it is. Today, racism is regarded as a crime if practiced by a majority but as an inalienable right if practiced by a minority. The notion that one's culture is superior to all others solely because it represents the traditions of one's ancestors is regarded as chauvinism if claimed by a majority, but as ethnic pride if claimed by a minority. Resistance to change and progress is regarded as reactionary if demonstrated by a majority, but retrogression to a Balkan village, to an Indian teepee, or to the jungle is hailed if demonstrated by a minority. That appeared in Return of the Primitive, the Anti-Industrial Revolution on page 142. And of course, I'm accessing this from AynRandLexicon.com, the simple search of the word racism. I think that um, of the writers that I've encountered, Ayn Rand provides the most clarity in just a few paragraphs on the subject of racism. When she says... It's the notion of ascribing moral, <clears throat> social, or political significance to a man's genetic lineage. Though that second quote that I shared is is more familiar. It's it's the we we have come to learn that racism is about supremacy or superiorism. I just probably made up that word, right? That one culture is um, that sorry, not not even necessary. We're not dealing with it. Culture. We'll come to that but that a race uh, is better than one or the other. That's that's how we've been taught. I've been taught since I was in high school that racism is looking at one uh, race as better than the other. And uh, prejudice is just judging someone based on their affiliation with race. Well, I or, you know, there's there's prejudice along other groups. And I think that it would be much more useful for us to back away from the superior issue and and focus on the matter of of looking at individuals as members of a race and and reject that. And so that is the crux of what I want to talk about today. A first note that I want to make here is that a number of things which come up on the subject of racism, I regard as totally fabricated. That is, there are fabricated events. I think that there is sufficient evidence for me to conclude so. Secondly, besides that, there are fabricated emotions. There, There is a ginning up of racial tension. There is a ginning up of the, the existence of racism. I'm not saying that there is no racism at all. I'm saying that there is a perpetuation on the part of um, this quote-unquote news media and that there is a, a boiling up 
uh, on the part of, of that news media, which I do not think is constructed to report news for the most part, or if maybe perhaps not at all. Uh, generally speaking, it, that's not its utility at all. And so while that is true, while I think there is a, a demonstrable and significant amount of astroturfing on the subject of racism, which originates from major um, media platforms. I also recognize that, one, there are everyday people who are also uh, racist, or, or, or at minimum, they are exercising racism um, on some basis, whether whether it's not really their their mode way of being, they're still they're still exercising it, and this comes from both uh, outside, like so, it's directed toward other races, but it's also um, codified in an in an intra racial context. That is that that uh, you know, and it's silly. Think about this for a minute. I'm going to say members of a certain race focus on race building. You know, it's like member, member of what? You know, you just it's just your DNA. And I'm not discounting that DNA has, you know, DNA is important. There's there's some things about it we don't understand yet, but the color of your skin, how important do you want to make that? Okay? And so if you're going to call your, you know, so the, the the typical language is members of a race. Okay? So let's just use that for a moment. Members of a race tend to often that is and this is a good reason for the for me to to record this podcast is that many many times are looking at the perpetuation of that race they're looking at the the isolation of that race genetically and culturally and this goes for many different races and now you know before i begin i want to highlight once more we're talking about time we use this word race 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 and it is 2021 and we think that we're going somewhere and yet we continue to look at people um through this racial lens and you know how i can tell it one of the ways is that we we're using the word race all the time (laughs) okay let's jump into the item which ultimately stirred me to record today i opened up a tab on uh, windows edge browser and and so that new tab always has that news items showing and so one of the articles that was posted was titled how young black qbs quarterbacks that is impact today's NFL game. I'm just noticing right now it's it's interesting how it it's uh how the headline reads it says how with capital H young lowercase y black with an uppercase b and then and then the the rest of the words are lowercase besides qbs it's, it's um it's interesting I hadn't I hadn't noticed that it's uh, apparently customary to capitalize the word black. Um, bear with me here because there's there's always this question of whether I'm being insensitive or if I just don't know enough. And I I think this would be a case here, but I, I don't know enough, and that's that's definitely in mind. Um, and the, you know I guess another question I would open myself up into is that if I am I being insensitive insensitive by not knowing enough. But I think that no matter how you feel about that, 
I'm, I'm going to present a compelling argument against the status quo. So again, the, the headline which got me going here was how young black quarterbacks impact today's NFL game. And I clicked on that article. Well, it's actually just a video for the, for the sake of making this recording. And there's some related ones I'm going to read. Vic, as in Michael Vic, looks back at evolution of black quarterbacks in the NFL. Another one, how black quarterbacks have used their platforms to spark change. Another, Doug Williams' influence on the NFL. Now, Doug Doug Williams, by the way, uh, was a quarterback for the Washington Redskins, and so he was the first uh, quarterback having black skin to lead his team to a Super Bowl win. Now, the, the reason that I am recording is that I, I think it's rather important that we ask ourselves what the hell it is that we're doing talking about blackness uh i don't again this is a question you know that i i leave open to to finding out some things but my contention is that the very question you know the very fact of of speaking about these men as if they um should be categorized by the color of their skin is racist and it is the perpetuation of racism. It represents that. It's a piece of it. And we it's going on every day. And and a lot of people are participating in this. Uh, oh, for the record, yes, my skin is white and uh, I'm of I'm of Anglo-Saxon descent. Um, it's it's um, pr- pretty irrelevant to me, and and I guess I would like to think that if my skin were as dark as um, Michael Vick's or Doug Williams, that that would be irrelevant to me as well. I, I would want that to be irrelevant to my friends and um, and my family, etc. So the topic is, though, still very complex because we have the issue of the history of racism, the history of oppression along racial lines, which, by the way, exists um, in many countries or regions around the world along different racial divides, because for various reasons, people have come and gone and and grown and originated and and so forth and have been distinct groups of peoples and and so these detentions are not um, unique to the United States but I think that that one really palpable and, and one palpable phenomenon that I'm I'm sympathetic to is is right here in the United States. And I, I paused just a moment and listened to some of this video about Doug Williams, whom I just mentioned, and a couple of the, the people who are brought on to give their commentary on the issue of Doug Williams being this this black-skinned man, and they too, these commentators are black-skinned man, um, one of them being Cedric the Entertainer. They, they're speaking about this event of Doug Williams winning the Super Bowl as uh, and likening it to um, Barack Obama winning the presidency of the United States. There was this, there was, there's this shared sense I gather among many dark-skinned peoples of a of a collective and individual oppression and and this was an instance in which some of that was 
removed or relieved that well that just like okay Jackie Williams or pardon me Jackie Robinson can play baseball now in the major leagues and you know and then so many other examples that followed and then oh well a black man can not only hold the most prestigious uh, place position on the football field at the highest level of this game he can win the that the highest level of that game as well and this was really important given especially given that the the context that people have suffered because of their black skin and for no other reason that their than their that their skin is black and that their parents skin is black they've suffered because of racism they um they've suffered and so this this moment in which Doug Williams wins the Super Bowl with the Redskins looks like a way out. It looks like a way forward for um, these people who have, who have suffered in, in various ways and, and that that will that an end will come to that because someone who who has every reason to also you know to also have been oppressed for the same reasons as them has has thrown off much of that. Um, so the issue is is complicated by, you know, we were t- looking at the example of, of Doug Williams and, and the NFL and all professional sports. Unfortunately, the issue is rather complicated by the fact that these sports are to a great degree scripted and or rigged at any particular time or or always, it's difficult for me to to derive exactly what elements are organic, but there's sufficient evidence on the table to again to conclude that these games are scripted, and so that 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 opens um, a, a, num- a number of people don't want to know that uh, still, and there I think that there's ongoing evidence that this is the case. Uh, you can look into Dim- Tim Donahue, the former NBA referee, uh, who who was involved in in the rigging there uh, on the part of the NBA, not not necessarily totally on his own, and and so that that goes across all professional sports as far as I can tell, and that opens up a can of worms for how we're you know for what this conversation might be regarding these quarterbacks who happen to have black skin and. Uh, and playing in the NFL or playing at any level. But when I so so I sympathize, I said, with the the idea that is as you're witnessing this and and you're feeling uh, um, akin to Doug Williams, let's say, because you've you've probably gone through a lot of the same racial hurdles, as it were, and and you feel like some of that is thrown off of you because it's thrown off of him by having uh, attained such a level of accomplishment. I understand that. What I want to argue against is that is the notion that this should be an ongoing thing. I I think that if you want to end racism, you have to quit looking and speaking. Mostly, it's the speaking part, right? You have to quit speaking about people as if it's important what color their skin is this is this is i hesitate almost to even keep recording because it should be very simple you must you must stop looking at it that way i i there's not much to be said about it 
And or 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 is there? My inclination is to say no. There's not a lot more to say about it. I'm I'm going to sit here and 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 think about it and reflect because again, this is this show is off the cuff. But the 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 taking the example that we already have on the table, the the black quarterback. What what now is significant about the the fact of the these the genetic background of these young men? Why is it worth talking about? Why I mean, why are we talking about it at all? And and as a brief aside, I challenge you know consider today's consider what would happen given today's climate on this subject if the other shoe dropped and and there was a discussion about white quarterbacks or white any anything i i you know i would personally find it totally inappropriate to be categorizing anybody by you know uh but you know it's like why are we why were we all of a sudden talking about white quarterbacks are they are they somehow supposed to be categorically different are they, you know, are they, um, what's, what's going on there? Are we going to categorize, uh, and this, this is, I suppose this discussion comes about from time to time is that the, the white quarterback is X, Y, Z. He, uh, you know, he's a pocket passer and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, he's unathletic and it's like, okay, all right. Um, I'm not sure how much we want to pursue that, um, but at the risk of being indelicate, I'll go there. I don't. I don't think that there's much argument that people um, of of uh, whatever black descent. There's some. There's some uh, interesting issues there to be just you know to be explored as far as what descent uh, we're talking about, whether that's sub-Saharan or um, Middle Eastern or or if that's Native American, all being um, within a range of skin tones but nevertheless let's just let's just refer to that as black for a moment I, there's very little disagreement um it seems that black men tend to be x more um athletic than than white men on the average and 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 if that makes you uncomfortable just consider that there's there's other examples across genotypes um, or genetic pools, you know, you have the Germanic peoples uh, all through Northern Europe, right, um, being just generally larger, taller men, uh, taller women, you know, whether let's say blonde hair is, is more of the norm uh, for much of that part of the world, right? There's, so the, these things happen. And so I don't think that there's really any problem with saying that, yes, black men uh, tend the, or at least the most athletic portion of men who have come from these these black skin descent are more athletic than the most, you know, than the same portion of the Caucasian group or the um, Asian group, um, you know, portion of, of that. So I, I don't, I'm not opposed to that. And chiefly because that has nothing to do with the characterological traits of men of any race, uh, of any genetic descent. And that is really what is at issue with the question of racism. What I have said about um, athleticism, um, you know, I suppose it could be could be wrong, but we're not really getting up in arms 
uh, on that issue. And I think, despite what I said earlier um, as a, as a warm-up to the episode about the, the questions of biological difference, it's like, well, you know, if we can if we can observe anything to a, to a statistical uh, significant range, then we really have to respect that. And I and I think it's highly advisable that we that we just observe that. But um, to my knowledge, such such um, you know like like matters of intellect along racial lines have been totally dis uh, they've been totally disproven. There's there's um, there, there's no really statistical basis uh, according to what I've come across for uh, for superiority of one uh, one race's intellectual capacities over another. I think probably what's been shown is that you have different levels of uh, cultural um, influences that lead to the development of minds in different directions or paces, etc. And and so, but as far as the actual genotype goes, it has nothing to do with intelligence. And and yet, intelligence is the real matter of uh, racism. Character is the real matter. Morality is the real is a real matter of racism. And and so, okay, let's kind of look back at this example of the NFL, the NFL quarterback. Well, what is the influence of Doug Williams? Well, here in this video and then these other videos, the the conversation, the discussion is about how uh, the how. Well, go back to a headline. How young black quarterbacks impact today's NFL game. And I think that if the such discussions were purely about the fact of the player's athleticism, this would be a totally moot point. This would not be something that we would discuss at all. It's like, well, it's a sport. It is a physical and, and highly demanding physical sport. Everybody out there on the field is 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 expected to be an athlete and the color of their skin is just is totally irrelevant. Either either they're top tier or they're not. Okay. So I, I really don't think that the discussion how young black quarterbacks infect impact today's NFL has is really about their athleticism. Is, is it? I I mean, obviously they are athletic, but are we supposed are we supposed to contrast them? I mean, the very nature of the language of 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 uh, categorizing black quarterbacks, black is saying they're as apart from white quarterbacks. This is racial language. This is racism. We're going to look at the performance along the lines of what their skin color is. Okay, the, am I, if I exhausted you yet, I've I've with just how simply silly. And, and, and trivial these discussions are, and yet these are the roots of perpetuating racism. At least this is one example of it. So I'm going to change directions a little bit and, and put, put a little different spin on the topic and ask, okay, so if you're Doug Williams or Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes and and you're you're out there let's just say <laughs> let's take for uh, a moment let's take for granted that the game is actually authentic uh but let's just say you're out there and you're you're playing your sport now uh i think maybe better more appropriate to look at lamar jackson and patrick mahomes today uh because we're living in today and and if you're out there playing your game if if how do you want to be seen is it important that you be seen as a black man, I mean, you know, or, 
or is that how you is that it is would when you are doing whatever and and the clock winds down to zero and you've won or you've lost the game do you want in the minds of others to be perceived as the second black quarterback to win a Super Bowl. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's supposed to be Patrick Mahomes. Or do you just want to be a person? Because if it's the former, then you're asking for a racial view of yourself, which means that you're asking to be seen as a member of a genetic group, not not as the individual known as Patrick Mahomes or the individual known as uh, Lamar Jackson or uh, individual known as Cam Newton. You, if it's important that you be classified in terms of the color of your skin, it's a real question to be asked about what your motivations are, what your what your state is. Because on the one hand, you you know I- anybody just wants to be treated like they are. Like they see themselves and and not according to anything else. Okay, so it just so happens that the heart of racism involves it elevates uh, makes makes prime the anything else. So um, it's like okay, so maybe so maybe Doug Williams. Um, just let's I'll be hypothetical here. Won that game and he thought yes. I happen to be a black man, and this is a big step for for all people, or at least for football players. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe he thought that, and maybe that's true. Given, especially given you know a different context of society at that time, wherein the racist tendencies um, might have been the reasons for um, a black man to be prohibited to play uh, at that level and that position. But I think I think that this one on the sports issue is very complicated because I think that if it if it were all about athleticism and and, and pure ability to excel on the field, I think. There's a good chance that there there'd have been twice as many quarterbacks with black skin between now and, and Doug Williams' time, or four times as many. I look at the NBA. I these are exceptional athletes on the NBA floor, and oftentimes uh, um, a starting five consists only of men with dark skin. I, I, so it, it it I think that that illuminates. The issue in the NFL is is quite likely being less about um, athleticism and ability, and um, I would have to anticipate um, it, it. It involves really just about being um, the, the the league having an agenda, and uh, there's I'll come back to that. But get a focus on the fact that if 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 it, you, what you really want is to be treated as an individual, then you've got to be very careful about what you make important to do with your group. So I think that it's wholly inappropriate for, at this point. At this point. Um, to say to make it to make a deal out of the the black quarterback situation, I think that this offers a lot of fruit that I've not yet picked here. It's just saying, look, either either these guys are just men who are playing this game and they're playing it really well, or they're they're black and we should pay attention because they're black. And I think that's totally um, faulty. I I don't know why I don't know why if what we really want is to be less racist, why that we should speak about these men this way. I think the counter 
narrative to what I'm trying to say comes along the lines of uh, something that I, I don't know a lot about, but there are certainly, I came across it the other night by by chance in a video on YouTube, is that there is a, uh, among black-skinned peoples in the United States, there is an idea uh, of a cultural movement and um, or or ethnic movement. Basically, let's just say that there are people who want to elevate the quote unquote black community as a community. So, for instance, the speaker in this YouTube video I watched was talking about. Well, he didn't want to read a book about black people that had been published by a quote-unquote white institution, which in this case was the University of Illinois Press. And he was saying, well, I want to, you know, I want to see these books produced by black people who produce them at a black institution. And I, again, have to question that this is at the heart of, of what this whole episode is about is is that really what the that like is that really the path you want to go down i mean either either it's totally arbitrary that you as an individual were born with black skin um like it that's like we're talking about publishing books and you're saying that that black people should should publish b- black books you know for black people and and through black publishers and i i mean this is totally about the the matter of viewing each other as as racial beings as members of a racial group i'll go back to this this quote that i opened with it is the notion of ascribing moral social or political significance to a man's genetic lineage the notion that a man's intellectual and characterological traits are produced and transmitted by his internal body chemistry, which means, in practice, that a man is to be judged not by his own character and actions, but by the character and actions, <coughs> pardon me, characters and actions of a collective of ancestors. Again, that's a quote by Ayn Rand. And, you know, so what I've just covered before that is a, is a, is a spin on that, okay, where it says, ascribing moral, social, or political significance to a man's genetic lineage. This guy in this video I mentioned suggesting that that black people ought to write about black people through black publishers is is trying to ascribe that political social significance to the lineage of of whomever he's suggesting uh, write those books and publish them or for that matter read those books and this is this is what racism is this is what this is what ultimately the the kind of latter example um, through a quote that I gave runs on is that if I don't it, when you elevate this genetic lineage you're saying that it is more important than the individual so so at minimum if you're not saying well our race our genotypic group if you're not saying that that group is better than another group genotypic group what you're saying is it's better than any one person who um, has those genetic traits you're saying oh it's more important to be black than it is to be a person who happens to be black that's that's the real meaning of this person i mentioned a bit ago who's i, I 
a somewhat intelligent man. Um, I've only come across him one time, but I think that his his premise is entirely wrong. I, I think that the, the question of uplifting um, black people, which seems to be his one of his priorities, ought to be about empowering them individually. Otherwise, it's just racism. It's just a different spin on racism. Because, again, if the other shoe were to drop... And, and a white man was today to talk about, well, we really shouldn't, you know, like, I, I, I hate that this book uh, was published at North Carolina, Carolina A&T or, or Grambling uh, because um, those are black schools and I really want to see us white people do better and us, you know, like, well, obviously nobody would get... <laughs> That 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 person would would risk the uh, you know just goodness it it's so we all know what I'm trying to say like any any such statement would be shot down vehemently uh, by everyone it would be quite a surprise and so uh, that reminds me a couple of uh, surprises that I want to talk about because. I did say that I would come back to the issue of uh, the NFL being rigged and the agendas that are that are taking place around race there. So I'll get to that. A little bit earlier, I made a mistake. I referenced Patrick Mahomes, I think, as being the second black quarterback to win a Super Bowl. And uh, in case you didn't catch that, it was, it was actually Russell Wilson with the Seahawks, which brings up an interesting point for me to kick off this discussion of, of the scripting of the NFL and other sports, but the NFL is really a prime example. You see, the Seahawks uh, were originally a Florida-based team, and that name, the Seahawks, it's it's just, the team was associated with a Native American tribe. I, I don't remember now off the top of my head whether it's, that's that name is the Seahawks, or I think that they did have the same name when they were in Florida, but the point was that there was a, a Native affiliation with that football team. And then, of course, the first I've uh, been talking about Doug Williams, and he played for the Redskins. And, and so, you know, today we, we've we had, obviously, a lot of controversy about the name the Redskins for several years now. But if you look, you know, and, and so that that's today thought of, and it's very red. Like, that, that face was very red before it just became the uh, Washington football team here recently, of course. But that, that face on that logo was a, a, was a red face, and it was de- depicting that, that the structure of a face and the, and the color that we that we've come to know of to be prototypical of the surviving negative American Native Americans that we know today think of that way. but the the previous versions of the logo were darker and darker darker skin as you go backward in time and as you go backward in time the hair was also different to the point that the hair was uh, dreadlocks, and it, it what it actually resembled was someone whom today we think of as black or Native American, pardon me, African American. And so I'm familiar with um, some some people today who recognize themselves as you know they they consider themselves black today, and they're and they're members of black communities, but they consider themselves um, as the descendants. Of Native Americans, they they consider that 
they, you know, they claim that in a number of cases anyway, probably not all, but in a number of cases, their ancestors were the slaves of white colonialists and so forth, but that those slaves were taken from, from Native American tribes, not shipped over uh, across the ocean from sub-Saharan Africa. And so in addition to that issue, you know, I, I mentioned also another mistake I kind of want to make is I, I mentioned uh, Middle Eastern descent earlier, and really what I meant by that was was Hebrew. The the claim that the original Hebrews were black. Uh, if you, I can't recall the chapter and verse, but if you reference the Bible, it states that the Hebrews are of dark skin and hair of wool. And so um, this presents some, some problems for a whole other topic if you're concerned with the history um, over there. But the, the point that I wanted to, to emphasize here is that the three quarterbacks who are thought of as black and having won Super Bowls in the NFL all played for a team whose uh, location, or pardon me, not so much location, but just naming of the team has to do with uh, Native American history. And so uh, those things are sort of still kind of played out. There's a lot of ritualistic things that happen in sports. Uh, I, baseball and and football coming prime to mind. So, so the people who run these leagues love for um, the New Orleans Saints to beat a the, the Redskins or the or the Chiefs or the Seahawks um, especially if those two if those two teams can play on Columbus Day it's it's a really fun ritual for these people who uh, have their own esoteric affiliations outside of the football league you know so they, they love that I was like last year as in 2019 um, I think it was that the Braves and the Indians in Major League Baseball both lost to teams I don't remember who they were playing you imagine it was something like that they were playing the Nationals and the uh, Yankees something like that that would be very fitting all of that on Columbus Day you get you get the symbolism I'm, I'm mentioning well those weren't those aren't things that happen by chance uh, consider that again there have been several quarterbacks um, no matter of what uh, tribal descent they've had black skin and only three of them have won a Super Bowl, and all three of them played for teams with Native American symbolism, ties. So th this is, uh, now, I've done no statistical analysis of the point that I'm making there, but to people who are in the know, this is this is an obvious uh, system of ritual. And so, and the other thing, another major thing, item to note is that 2019 made 400 years of slavery officially in the United States territories. And this is really important as it's connected to Acts 7-6 and Acts 7-7, uh, wherein it is said that Abraham's people would be uh, held captive, held slaves in a foreign land for 400 years, and that at the end of those 400 years, that nation, that captor nation, would be punished. Well, welcome to 2020 and 2021. You know, so at the at the immediate end of the, the uh, you know, 2019, to start out the 20, year of 2020, we get a, a black quarterback playing for the Chiefs. They win, he and wins the Super Bowl. And then immediately after that, we get 
supposedly a pandemic, a viral pandemic, which again is very is very fitting to coincide with the Chiefs uh, because you know one it's a punishment and two uh, the uh, the historical aspect of smallpox and and so forth is it smallpox forgetting uh being being passed from white settlers to native americans obviously wiping them out to great extent very uh fitting parallels there for those things to be connected and so and and then last year at the beginning of that football season the 2019 nfl season there was an article published on the undefeated slash ESPN that was titled The Year of the Black Quarterback. Now, again, from my perspective, this is just another perpetuation of racism, but it was highly symbolically fitting. You know, it's it was the 400-year mark. It was the end of the 400 years, and they were basically telling you that, that this was you know, the, the freedom line, the, the finish line. And so what it, in addition to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, you had Kyler Murray of the Cardinals being named Rookie of the Year and Lamar Jackson named League MVP. So th- this was this is not an accident. This is not something that's decided on the field. Um, I don't have enough time in this episode to explain all of that, but I did go into this in a previous episode entitled The Man Who Predicts Super Bowls, in which I go into a discussion of Zachary Hubbard and his work Gematria and decoding sports and news. It's you really need to look into it. Now, the reason I think that that was worth mentioning here though is that is that if you can wrap your head around that, you will see a demonstration of how major uh, mind-consuming events such as sports and news can be used to control people. I see it's it's difficult for me to relate to the news were I to consistently watch it. News about racism today. It's difficult because even though I live in an area of the country that um, historically has, I suppose, plenty of racist um, tones to it, it, it was used to be known as Little Dixie, I, it's, it doesn't have much to do with my life. I Now, going to school as a child, a teenager mainly, there were problems that I observed that were they're kind of like I'm describing now, but mainly this was a non-issue. And, and the subject of sports, again, gives me a really good uh, example to, to state that I, I think it's a lens to look through because for me, it was very irrelevant what the color of, of my teammates' skin was. When you're playing football, you really, you're really risking your life. Not many players die on the field that I know of, but a few have. And, but you're still at, in, in risk of major peril. You're, you're in, in risk, at risk of having a life-altering injury. And if you, if you blow out your knee, that can really take away from about a year of your life in, in, in certain respects because you will, you'll be chair-bound, bed-bound for a amount of time, and you'll have to spend so much time doing physical therapy, etc. The reason I'm, I'm saying all that is because it's, it's dangerous. And when you walk out on that field with 10 other guys, I guarantee you don't care what color they are. You want to know that they have your back 
and and they want to know the same from you. And so the the if nothing else, the that time in in all of our lives was an opportunity for us to get past some of the racist acculturation that we might have been brought up in um, up until that time. And I, th- I think that that's probably the case for a number of people. And then then you get out there and it's like, well, we have to work together. And we and we are we are all just about as small as the weakest link out here. So let's let's support one another and uh, count on one another. And so the the whole issue of race just goes right out the window. Well, then you know what else happens is that even if you're brought up in that environment where you know the the kind of environment I'm I'm describing where there is some some racist culture going on is that the next thing you have beyond that point is you have friend. He's not just your teammate anymore. He's your friend. And and well, I don't really have to explain what a friend is, but it better not be somebody you're going to um, treat badly part of the time, especially for arbitrary reason. It's getting to be about time to wrap this up. And I'm wondering if I've really given a sufficient uh, and full treatment to the topic. Probably not, but that's the challenge coming from the cuff here. Um, what I would like to do is is uh, really hand the challenge to you, the listener, though. Uh, if you find yourself, one, uncomfortable with what I'm saying and, and wanting to rebut what I'm saying, I, I what I would ask is that you, one, take some time to con- really really marinate on the issue and, and, again, reconsider the landscape that we're seeing, that we're in, and see if actually my impressions here are more accurate than you might have initially thought. And, and after you've done that, I would be glad to hear from you um, because I think I think that it's an issue to be resolved. I, I, I don't think that anyone with good who, you know geez, do we do we have good intent? I, I don't I don't think that most people really deep down want to hold anyone back because they're a member of some other racial group. I think what they do instead is that they see a a racial group that has some identity attached to it, whether whether that's from a from an astroturf perspective, something that's been kind of glued on by quote unquote news media again, or if that's or if it's a, a cultural product and and as an outsider, a person doesn't like that cultural product and therefore they tend to um, eschew that cultural group. And and there's a lot that could be said about that topic, but when it comes down to meeting one another face to face, I'm I'm hard pressed to think of an example of an adult who even if their thought processes were not clear on the subject, literally harbored ill will against specific individuals because they belong to a different racial or ethnic group than themselves. Um, now, of course, no later, no, you know, more than 10 seconds after I say that, I think of someone as an example, <laughs> a counter to that. And, and uh, so I've come up with one person and, well, the safest thing that I can say about this person who's on my mind is that this person is basically an idiot. And and I, uh, to the extent that that person has a cultural influence, that's really, it's, it's 
sad and disappointing, but this person, you know, doesn't really speak for the overall behavior, the, the, the average behavior, and I don't, and unfortunately, a lot of people tolerate the, this person's behavior uh, more than I do, maybe even find his behavior funny, uh, but I, I find it sad. Now, but the question here is, even this person who's on my mind, I wonder, uh, meeting face-to-face with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking about a, a white-skinned person who is a, a aggressively uh, racist online, overtly, and, and oftentimes for, or with comedic spirit, at least attempting to be funny, uh, I have to wonder if this same person would actually be such an asshole to any person he would meet face-to-face who has black skin. And I think that right raises the, the most questions at this point in time, because there was a time not too long ago, and not really in the part of the country where I live, but that that was the standard of racism. Common people abided by institutional rules of racism. You know, I, I can remember that uh, a mentor of mine used to live in South Carolina during the 1980s, and his wife went into grocery store and and was in line behind a black-skinned woman, and the the cashier told that woman to step out of line and behind my mentor's wife because my mentor's wife was white and this lady was black, and that's the rules. And that is a very serious subject, and and so there was basically people walked around besides just institutional rules there were a number of people walking around being nasty to black people because they thought that that was their social right and uh, maybe maybe some other sort of uh, obligations that they thought they had going on and I guess so finally now that I've used the word institutional that's really close to a current uh, word that is used a lot or phrase now which is systemic racism and think given that I'm so close to needing to stop this recording I can I can barely expect to say much about the topic I think what I would like for us to consider is this question where where does systemic racism come from? Uh, I, I, and, and, and what specifically are some instances of systemic racism that, that are real obstacles for uh, persons of any race today? And let's, we, maybe, maybe we would just keep it to the United States. I don't pretend here that we're going to have a discussion since this is a one-way uh, format here, but we, we ought to name some of those things. And my, my bigger question would be, what is, what is the force behind them now? I can imagine that that the the there's momentum behind the racial laws that used to exist in the post-slavery era. It was kind of like for a while there was a buildup of laws to try to keep black people uh, as secondary citizens, right? And then then there was a movement to break all of that down. And rather than rather than removing each one of those laws or customs abruptly, it has been more like a matter of decay to let all of those things expire. Much like it's been a, a, a racism itself on a personal level has been just a matter of decay and 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 uh, molecular or atomic half life is kind of how I've become to think of it is because I, I'm certain that two generations ago. 
was was significantly more racist than than the following generation and and that Gen X is significantly less racist than the boomers and and so on and so on downward to the point where I think I think most of the kids that have been born in the last 10 years would have no idea what racism is if it weren't an issue on TV and brought up in schools. And so I think that to the extent that we have institutional or systemic racism, I wonder, first of all, I, first of all, I'm, I need to be very frank as a, as an either not a victim or not knowingly a victim of systemic racism myself, I'm, I'm ignorant on the topic, but I see, so I have to, but I have to imagine that Whatever it is we're calling systemic racism at this point is a a legacy of those former years, former laws and customs, which are now not obvious because I myself don't am not wittingly enforcing such customs, and and neither are a lot of people who uh, are probably di- directly involved in whatever is being called systemic racism. They probably have no idea. And you know, there's a related there's a related topic called uh, unconscious bias, which is I think that probably deserves its own episode because I that's it's I have a lot of problems with that, and I think until I go ahead and decide to talk about that subject. Subject itself, I think that uh, Jordan Peterson has probably covered that sufficiently on his own. So I would encourage you to look that discussion up um, because I don't think that the unconscious bias route is a viable way out of solving our problems. I think that think that we can do better just by being more conscious of our the the words that we actually do use and and the way that we approach these topics and or the way that we engage with media because again, I see the news media and sports as a chief mechanism for perpetuating racism and and in this country, the United States, and racism, uh, uh, no matter what you want to call it, uh, I think it, a lot of it is ginned up by by creating stories that shame young black men. Uh, it is. It is alarming how frequently young black men have allegedly died of shootings and whatnot over the last year, but especially the last few months, uh, who are all supposed to be rappers or the relatives of these young rappers. And I... If you're if you're well enough initiated, you question whether any of this stuff is actually happening. But uh, even if you take it as happening, it doesn't really seem. It doesn't really. I, I'm so far removed from accepting those stories that. It, it seems implausible that people would really want to be out shooting one another. You know, think about it from the dying aspect. A lot of young men's um, dream is to be a successful rapper, and they, they want to put the work in to making some sort of beautiful music. They're not really out there looking to be shot. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I've got a, I've got a, a, a smidgen of success. Uh, in my pocket that I can carry around and turn into more success. Why would I go out and and mess around and have, I? It just it's so much more less likely to me now. And and keep in mind that so many of these things will now transpire. We'll hear so many stories during the month of February, for shortest month of the year, right? And and there will be so many stories over the last 
few years anyway that I've been paying attention, I've noticed so many stories come out during the month of February to shame young and, and middle-aged black men in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. Uh, and I think that a lot of these stories are just totally contrived, and uh, it's 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 really gross. And, and yet these stories are used to shape the minds of everyone observing. It's not just about making black people look bad in the eyes of non-black people. It's it's about inducing shame in other black people who tend to see their racial cohort as uh, as related and and, um, and what are the words here having some sort of bearing on who they are because they share the same skin tone again that is racism you know people tend to think that some element of this is healthy and you know, it's not um, and I can give you a just a key example of of how it's not necessary is that by and large most of the people around me and around this country are white you know they're they are caucasian they're of similar descent as I am. And yet, I take it not personally at all when one of them does something really stupid. I don't I don't think of that as reflecting on me unless I, you know, maybe, maybe I would feel some shame or guilt about another person's actions if I were closely, personally connected to them. I don't, it's it's silly of me. I, I, it'd be hard for me to, to think that, that uh, I should, I should be, feel shame for every dummy that, that commits a crime uh, just because we happen to have the same skin tone. And, and yet I think that that is an agenda that is carried out against black people in this country, the news media. This does need to come to a close, and although I so think that I will be lacking comprehensiveness, lacking the full picture, the full consideration that I'd like to bring, I want to end by saying that I think that we should all be much more aware of of where our attention is going and aware of the words and concepts that we are utilizing to make our way through the world and be cognizant of what or who might be harvesting our energy and our emotions and our decisions and our words. And I mean that obviously with respect to this subject of of racism, because I think that a lot of what is probably considered pro-black right now leaves both black persons as well as everyone non-black subject to greater harm in the long term or just in the present where we're overlooking uh, something that's going to set us up for perpetuation, uh, a longer trend uh, of racism, of organizing what might be a, a multicultural society, a, a boundaryless, so to speak, multiracial society, possibly. I, I don't know. If we're to have one, though, I don't think that our current mode of communication or modes and our mindset, such as when we talk about the the role of young black quarterbacks or uh, the like, I don't think that we're being. I don't think that we're on the right path when we talk that way and think that way. So that is, it's a it's a challenge that I want to bring up, and it's it's a hope for us to to do better. And I'm sure I am um, lacking some understanding that would make this a, a better overall presentation, but. 
I do think that the thing, most of the things that I've said, irrespective of that, need to, to be said. So I thank you for your time and your attention and your consideration. Hopefully, 